Dear Lord, you've promised in Matthew chapter 7, 7, if we ask, it'll be given us. We're asking for wisdom, as you've promised. We believe that you are granting this wisdom as we answer these questions. In Jesus' name, amen. And now, Barbara, the first question. What if your mate isn't willing to wait to discuss the problem? First of all, we diagnose why do we think the mate is not willing to wait. Uh, it may be because we are ourselves not waiting and the mate is merely responding to our injecting the question. Or it may be that the mate has never heard of this before. Consequently, we'd want to learn how can we approach this subject so that the mate will, will be willing to wait. <clears throat> the way that I would suggest would be to conform to the law of humility and say to the mate something like this. Uh, you know, I want to apologize for having posed problems when your mind is on something else. That wasn't good, but I didn't know until some time ago that uh, there's a time and we should wait for the proper time when the mind of each of us is at rest. So I hope you'll forgive me. I wonder what time would uh, be the best time so that I wouldn't be interrupting you all the while. Uh, maybe it would be the first thing in the morning after when we first awaken. What do you think? And the mate in all likelihood may say, well, okay. Because you see, we have not belittled our spouse in this suggestion. Whereas if we said to, the, to our spouse, look, why in the world don't you wait? We're supposed to wait till, till morning when our minds are at, at peace. Then he will, he will feel belittled, you see. The next question. The next question is, <coughs> your method is based on two Christians solving their problems. What if one of the partners is not a Christian? The same laws of communication that are successful for two Christians will be also successful for one who is a Christian the other who is not. You see, you take all the laws of God. They are adequate for anyone who will conform to them. For instance, the law of gravity will work for an infidel just as well as it will work for a Christian. But if a Christian ignores the law of gravity, he must suffer the result. If an infidel follows through and obeys the law of gravity, he'll have success. So you may use the same method for a non-Christian mate as for the Christian. Now, the adaptation will be slightly different, but the principles will be the same. Okay. What do you do how do you approach your husband on establishing family worship when you're not even communicating well now? <laughs> well, the facts are that you can't. In, uh, in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? It's impossible to expect him to want to worship with you if he won't even talk with you. Now, the way that it must be done is this. He must not feel pained, or she, whichever it is, must not feel pained in any communication with a spouse. When one spouse does not feel pained in the communication that's set up between them, they're liable not to feel that they will be pained if they worship together. So the thing that causes many people to shy away from worship is many people have, have associated worship with pain because they're scolded in worship, or they're belittled, or one person takes this holier-than-thou attitude, and so the other feels ill at ease in this. 
This is a good question. How do you communicate with someone who does not even want to communicate and doesn't respond in any way? Uh, this is much, Barbara, as the, uh, the question we just answered. Why do people not like to communicate? In our counseling with people for the last 40 years, we've learned that the reason why many people do not want to communicate is they feel that this communication will, will be painful to them. One will be belittling the other. Nobody wants to be belittled. No one wants to have the spouse or anyone take this holier-than-thou attitude. So if a person doesn't want to communicate, we ought to search our own souls and say, look, am I kind of taking a, a, a senior attitude, a superior attitude? Let me search my soul, examine my soul, and determine that my communication will have none of this belittling attitude, you see. Then as my spouse or my friends or whoever, as they listen to me speak, they won't feel that I'm preaching at them. You see, belittling them, condemning them, scolding them. When all of these things are absent, people love to communicate. Here's one that's a real problem. What do you do if the communication of you and your mate isn't as close as it used to be and you don't even know why? Again, <laughs> that's a good question. It used to be close, but human beings, as we are, with 6,000 years of degeneration, it's possible that at one time we were communicating beautifully. Now all at once we began to go into orbit around the problem instead of the solution. And unconsciously the human mind can do it. In fact, it's difficult for the human mind not to go into orbit in the communication around the problem. So I would suggest to these individuals that they would check again and say to themselves, am I communicating the problem or am I discussing possible solutions? If I am going to orbit around this problem, if I'm mulling over the problem in my communication with my mate, no wonder that we find it difficult all of a sudden. Let me change my ways and not belittle, not to go into orbit around this problem, but with a big sweet smile, an innocent gesture, talk about solutions. That's very good. When you are involved in a problem, this one's basically the same and can't see the solution, how do you keep from going into orbit around the problem? The way you will keep from going into orbit around the problem, there are two or three principles that we should notice. Number one, we should realize how serious it is to go into orbit around the problem. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says that by beholding, we're changed in the same image. Now, as we look back over the past and we find individuals who are quarreling and they say fighting with their tongues, you know, you say, oh, the reason why we're quarreling, the reason why we've gotten into this awful bind is because we went into the orbit around the problem. Therefore, let us realize that the mind adapts itself to the thing it contemplates. So let's talk about the solution. The mind then will be at rest as we discuss the solution. Then the next would be to ask the Lord to give us power to discuss solutions rather than the problem. Merely identify the problem and then say, as we have already mentioned, what would this be, would you think, as a possible solution? Now, in order to do this, we'll often, Barbara, have to fall on our knees, and we may open our Bible and we may say to the Lord, Dear Lord, I don't have the wisdom that I need, and I don't have the peace of mind that I need, 
And so, dear Lord, will you give me wisdom to keep from going into orbit around this problem? Will you give me wisdom to think of possible solutions so that my mate will not feel that I'm belittling him or her? And I ask you to do it. That's the E of prayer. I believe you're doing it. That's a B of prayer. I thank you that I have received the wisdom that you've promised as, as I sub let you subdue self. And the Lord will hear and answer. That's where the ABCs of prayer can really come in if That's we can it. recognize the promises in the Bible that for them. That is exactly right. What do you do when your mate has been nasty to you and you don't even want to communicate with them at all? First of all, you may say to yourself, I'm perfectly normal. Who naturally, normally, wants to communicate with somebody that's been very unkind to them, who has been sarcastic? Now, in order to be able to, be, to have peace in our hearts when somebody's been so nasty as, as the questioner has stated it, let me give you an illustration. At the close of one of our meetings in a certain place, a 73-year-old lady came to see me in the after service. In fact, she was the only one. She said, Pastor, I'm in great trouble. She said, my daughter is the most sarcastic soul that you ever have seen or heard in your life. Throughout the day, she's, she's hurling little cutting remarks at me. It cuts my heart all up. And she said, I'm living in constant suffering day after day after day. Pastor, what can you suggest? I said, there's a Bible suggestion. I said, if you'll turn to Isaiah, the 26th chapter in the third verse, it says, thou, that's the Lord, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. I said to this fine little old lady, <laughs> I said, look, the next time your daughter begins to say these nasty things to you. You take this promise of Isaiah 26.3. I would suggest it because I've done it. And I would suggest that immediately you will do what the text says. The condition to peace is to stay your mind on Christ. I said, you'll walk your mind right over to Palestine back 1900 years ago, and you'll reconstruct one of the miracles of Christ. For instance, the leper. This leper comes to Christ down over the hill. Christ is, let's say, by the Sea of Galilee. And the great crowds are surrounding Christ. And this leper's heard of Christ, and he wants healing, and he knows how kind Christ is, how long-suffering, and that he's a great healer. The leper starts on his way to Christ. Now, your daughter is, is just as sarcastic as she can be. She's throwing these cutting words at you, and you're following Christ over there, and you see this leper come on his way to Christ, eager to be healed, the, the, the mob or the, the, the crowd of people fall back on both sides. They make a path directly to Christ. And this leper rushes up to Christ. He falls on his knees and with sobs, he begs Jesus to heal him. And Christ touches him and heals him. I said, now, all the time you're doing this, the promise is that as you have stayed your mind on Christ, you'll have perfect peace. And I said, now you'll also ask and believe and claim this perfect peace. And we had prayer and she left. Barbara, about two days later, she came back. Her face was beaming. She said, Pastor, there's not one thing that my daughter can say, not a cutting remark that has the least effect on me. She said, I am as peaceful, as happy as I can be. So 
when someone is unkind and sarcastic and cutting and nasty as the letter, as the questioner has worded it, we can stay our mind on Christ, reconstruct some miracle of Christ, fix our gaze on him and say, Lord, you've asked. You've asked me to do it now. You've told me to ask you in turn to give me perfect peace. And I believe it. Thank you, I've received in Jesus' name. This comes from a Christian, obviously. My husband wants me to go to nightclubs. And when I tell him how sinful they are, he gets mad. Well, there are two phases to this. In the first place, we are recommending strongly to young people that before they marry, they make sure whether they're marrying someone in Christ. Because Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? So before individuals marry, they should check on several areas of life to be sure that they're in agreement. Now, this mate may have accepted Christ since she was married. Maybe both of them were out in the world before, and now she's found Christ. So she can't go to some of these places. Now, we would throw out this caution. One of these laws, as you recall, Barbara, and the questioner may have heard, is the law of humility. She may not go to these questionable places with him, that's for sure. The Bible makes that clear. But at the same time, she should not belittle him as she states that she cannot. She must be careful and not say, uh, I, uh, you know, I love the Lord. You don't love the Lord. I'm a Christian. You're not a Christian. You see, she's just, she's just grinding salt into that wound. So she will try to learn through the grace of God, the law of humility. And she say, I'm so sorry, honey, but uh, I can't do that. But there's something else we can do. Now, Romans 12, 21 comes into play here. It says, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. She should think far ahead, Barbara, weeks ahead, and ask the Lord to give her wisdom to suggest different places to go. So uh, she beats him, <laughs> you see. <laughs> And she is suggesting different places to go. So she's not putting herself on the defense all the while. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. He will then have to be on the defense. Not that she's trying to put him on the defense, but it, it shows that there are places where they can go. They can have companionship together. And as she does that, she can find a great change. Pastor Kuhn, this is the next question starts. Pastor Kuhn, I'm contemplating getting married. And my boyfriend isn't a Christian, but I love him, and he's an awfully nice guy. He even said he'll go to church. I can't see anything wrong with marrying him. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, it would be well for her to study this. Let me give an illustration. We were traveling across the continent several years ago, and uh, some very fine friends of ours invited us to... Uh, be their guests. They had a lovely home. And uh, my wife and I explained to them that we were so weary. Would they please uh, just not let anyone know that we were there for the two or three days that we were there? And the lady of the home said, oh, we, nobody will come in. You don't need to worry at all. About two days, maybe a day after we were there, her sister came in. And her sister said, Pastor Kuhn, I hope I'm not interfering. She said, but I have a problem. 
She said, and I have a message I would like to have you give to every young woman, every young Christian woman in your audiences across America and everywhere you go. She said, will you tell them? And her face was almost as white as a sheet. The seriousness that was stamped there, it's hard to describe. She said, would you tell them, don't marry out of Christ. She said, I married out of Christ. I was cautioned not to marry out of Christ. She said, now that I've married out of Christ, she said, my husband comes home night after night, anywhere around 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to rest. I'm trying to get my sleep. He comes in with oaths on his lips. She said, many times he's thrown up a little on the bed. Then he goes toward the bathroom and he throws a little up a little on the carpet or rug. Then he goes in the bathroom. He throws up a little in the bathroom. She said, this doesn't happen once in a while. It happens almost every day or two. She said, I have to awaken to curses, to foul speech. And he'll awaken me if I'm not awake and shake me so that I have to listen to it. She said, Pastor, please tell every young person, every young lady, every young man who professes Christ, you'll never be happy. No one can guarantee that you'll be happy. It is true. Your mate might accept Christ. That'll be wonderful. But don't take the chance. Don't take that chance. Let me tell you another story. <laughs> There was a young lady, <clears throat> a very fine Christian young lady with very high standards. She was a Christian and she was engaged to a Christian of another faith. And in fact, <clears throat> she was engaged to a very fine Catholic boy, but she was a Protestant. And someone came to me and they said, we think that she's making a mistake in marrying this Catholic boy. And I thought in my heart, she may not be making any bigger mistake in marrying the Catholic boy than the Catholic boy is in marrying her. Oh, he may be just as good as she is. It isn't a question of his being a Catholic or she being a Protestant. That's not the question at all. They said, would you be willing to counsel with them? I said, yes, if they come and ask, because that's, that's the law of choice, you see. When people ask, then we answer. So they came, <clears throat> they sat down, they were very young. And I could see she was madly in love with him. So uh, there they were. Their hearts were apparently open. I said, now to the fine Catholic young man, just a noble young fellow. I said, I don't know whether you've ever learned about uh, some of the Protestant beliefs. I said, particularly the, particularly the belief of this young lady's church. I said, uh, she has a little different diet from that of a, of a good, sincere Catholic. Uh, and she happens to be keeping a different day. And I said, and, uh, and there's some other differences between her church and your church. It doesn't mean, I said to the young man, it doesn't mean that she's better than you, not at all. It just means that her conscientious background is along one line and your conscientious background is along another line. I said, now, the two of you love each other, I assume, deeply. But when you're married and children become uh, come into your home, then 
your wife will be thinking, I want to do right by my child. And her standard of right is the standard of her background of right. You'll say, I want my child to be taught the right thing, but your standard of right is based on your background of what is right. Both of you being extremely sincere, the most noble, the most honest individuals that could be found. There you are, both of you, wanting to hold to what is right, as you understand it. And your wife will say, well, I want to teach <clears throat> little Mary uh, so-and-so about eating and drinking. And you will say, uh, well, I want to teach her uh, something about eating and drinking. And they're not in agreement at all. And uh, your wife will say, I want my little daughter to keep what I think is the right day. And you'll say, I want my little daughter to keep what I think is the right day. And on and on you'll go. And I said, both of you lovely people. And as I visited with him, I had a very high respect for him. Personally, as a Protestant, <clears throat> I have a very high respect for people of all faiths. I don't care what faith they belong to. I don't believe in, in building a prejudice between ourselves and people of any church. But these were facts. When I, when I was nearing the conclusion of my chat with him, I saw in his eyes, I saw a decision, I thought. As we concluded our conversation and they went on their way, a day or two later, a friend came to see me. And he said, I'd like to report on these young people. I said, tell me what happened. He said, that young man said, that minister was right. It isn't a question primarily of which we should do at this point. It's a question of a clash. And a house divided against itself cannot stand, Jesus said, you see. And he saw the fact that two conscientious people with different backgrounds could be clashing, particularly when the children come. So to this questioner, who has this lovely boyfriend, <laughs> this boyfriend, this boyfriend is not a Christian. Even if he were a Christian, they should study earnestly to see whether they're Christian principles agree. If he's not a Christian, she should ask God to do what he's promised to do. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, the Lord says, My God shall supply all your need. What she needs is a good companion. What this young man needs is a good companion. Now, what kind of a companion does she need? She needs a companion who will agree with her and with whom she can agree religiously, physically, socially, intellectually, financially, you see. Now, before a couple marry, they need earnestly to study these facets of their relationship. Let me give you an example. A young couple were married. The young man came from a home where the father was the business manager. This young man's mother was a good follower. The father kept the books, did all the managerial work in a financial way. The young lady came from a home where the mother kept the books and did all the managing. Father worked through the day, brought his check to the mother, and the mother did all of this. Now when they marry, you see what happens? Since they had never discussed it before, 
All the young man, young man knew was the background of his father and mother. All the young lady knew was the background of her father and mother. So she thought that she was supposed to manage. He thought he was supposed to manage. Clash, clash, clash. Both of them were conscientious. Both were as innocent as could be. So before marriage, individuals should not merely be sure concerning their religious agreement or disagreement, but they should study whether they are agreeable in the, the business phase of their marriage. Uh, in what area is she the queen of the home? In what area is he to be the king of the home? He has no business to be the king of the home in every area, except as the king has a queen. And every king who has a queen knows that the queen is queen of a certain area. But when a young man comes from a home where his father was the dictator, he will naturally be the dictator. He knows of no other way. In a home where a young lady has come, where her mother has been the dominant personality, she knows of no, nothing else than for her to be the dominant personality. So not merely does this questioner need to study whether she wants to be tied for life or whether she wants to tie a non-Christian for life to her and their children will be, will be pulled apart by his saying, this is all right, and her saying, no, it isn't all right. And there they are, a house divided against itself is falling because of a simple reason that no one has explained to this precious young lady and of thousands like her the very important factor that when people marry, they should marry to be happy. And they cannot find that happiness unless there's an agreement between themselves so that as they move along, there won't be clashes. And when the children come into the home, there won't be additional clashes. The children siding with daddy or mother and the home being painfully separated. Why don't we stop on this note, Barbara, and we'll ask the Lord to richly bless not merely those who are already attempting to communicate as husband and wife, but let's pray for young people who are tempted to rush madly into marriage without studying any of these things. There, many of them are moving out of the frying pan into something else that we've all heard about, you know. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you that you have promised days of heaven on earth to those who will study the principles of our existence. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 to 21, you've very clearly indicated that you have laws of marriage just like, just like a car has its manual. So thou hast given us a manual of life. Lord, we would look into that manual day by day we would learn those things which will bring us days of heaven upon the earth. We ask believingly and claim triumphantly for every sincere searching soul. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.